Section 12 of Narrative of the Life and Adventures of Henry Bibb, an American Slave, written by himself. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. Narrative of the Life and Adventures of Henry Bibb, an American Slave, written by himself. Chapter 12. My Sad Condition Before Whitfield. My Terrible Punishment. Incidents of a Former Attempt to Escape. Jack at a Farmhouse. Six Pigs and a Turkey. Our Surprise and Arrest. The reader may perhaps imagine what must have been my feelings when I found myself surrounded on the island with my little family at midnight by a gang of savage wolves. This was one of those trying emergencies in my life when there was apparently but one step between us and the grave. But I had no cords wrapped about my limbs to prevent my struggling against the impending danger to which I was then exposed. I was not denied the consolation of resisting in self-defense, as was now the case. There was no deacon standing before me with a loaded rifle, swearing that I should submit to the torturing lash or be shot down like a dumb beast. I felt that my chance was by far better among the howling wolves in the Red River Swamp than before Deacon Whitfield on the cotton plantation. I was brought before him as a criminal before a bar, without counsel, to be tried and condemned by a tyrant's law. My arms were bound with a cord, my spirit broken, and my little family standing by weeping. I was not allowed to plead my own cause, and there was no one to utter a word in my behalf. He ordered that the field hands should be called together to witness my punishment, that it might serve as a caution to them never to attend a prayer meeting, or run away as I had, lest they should receive the same punishment. At the sound of the overseer's horn, all the slaves came forward and witnessed my punishment. My clothing was stripped off, and I was compelled to lie down on the ground with my face to the earth. Four stakes were driven in the ground, to which my hands and feet were tied. Then the overseer stood over me with the lash, and laid it on according to the deacon's order. Fifty lashes were laid on before stopping. I was then lectured with reference to my going to prayer meeting without his orders, and running away to escape flogging. While I suffered under this dreadful torture, I prayed and wept and implored mercy at the hand of slavery, but found none. After I was marked from my neck to my heels, the deacon took the gory lash, and said he thought there was a spot on my back yet, where he could put in a few more. He wanted to give me something to remember him by, he said. After I was flogged, almost to death in this way, a paddle was brought forward, and eight or ten blows given me with it, which was by far worse than the lash. My wounds were then washed with salt brine, after which I was led up. A description of such paddles I have already given in another page. I was so badly punished that I was not able to work for several days. After being flogged, as described, they took me off several miles to a shop, and had a heavy iron collar riveted on my neck with prongs extending above my head, on the end of which there was a small bell. I was not able to reach the bell with my hand. This heavy load of iron I was compelled to wear for six weeks. I never was allowed to lie in the same house with my family again while I was the slave of Whitfield. 
I either had to sleep with my feet in the stocks, or be chained with a large log overnight, with no bed or bedding to rest my wearied limbs on, after toiling all day in the cotton field. I suffered almost death while kept in this confinement, and he had ordered the overseer never to let me loose again, saying that I thought of getting free by running off, but no negro should ever get away from him alive. I have omitted to state that this was the second time I had run away from him. While I was gone the first time, he extorted from my wife the fact that I had been in the habit of running away before we left Kentucky, that I had been to Canada, and that I was trying to learn the art of reading and writing. All this was against me. It is true that I was striving to learn myself to write. I was a kind of a house-servant, and was frequently sent off on errands, but never without a written pass, and on Sundays I have sometimes got permission to visit our neighbor's slaves, and I have often tried to write myself a pass. Whenever I got hold of an old letter that had been thrown away or a piece of white paper, I would save it to write on. I have often gone off in the woods and spent the greater part of the day alone trying to learn to write myself a pass by writing on the backs of old letters, copying after the pass that had been written by Whitfield. By so doing I got the use of the pen and could form letters as well as I can now, but knew not what they were. The deacon had an old slave by the name of Jack, whom he bought about the time that he bought me. Jack was born in the state of Virginia. He had some idea of freedom, had often run away, but was very ignorant, knew not where to go for refuge, but understood all about providing something to eat when unjustly deprived of it. So for ill-treatment we concluded to take a tramp together. I was to be the pilot, while Jack was to carry the baggage and keep us in provisions. Before we started, I managed to get hold of a suit of clothes the deacon possessed, with his gun, ammunition, and bowie-knife. We also procured a blanket, a joint of meat, and some bread. We started in a northern direction, being bound for the city of Little Rock, state of Arkansas. We traveled by night and laid by in the day, being guided by the unchangeable North Star. But at length, our provisions gave out, and it was Jack's place to get more. We came in sight of a large plantation one morning where we saw people of color, and Jack said he could get something there, among the slaves that night, for us to eat. So we concealed ourselves in sight of this plantation until about bedtime, when we saw the lights extinguished. During the day we saw a female slave passing from the dwelling-house to the kitchen, as if she was the cook, the house being about three rods from the landlord's dwelling. After we supposed the whites were all asleep, Jack slipped up softly to the kitchen to try his luck with the cook, to see if he could get anything from her to eat. I would remark that the domestic slaves are often found to be traitors to their own people, for the purpose of gaining favor with their masters and they are encouraged and trained up by them to report every plot they know of being formed about stealing anything, or running away, or anything of the kind, and for which they are paid. This is one of the principal causes of the slaves being divided among themselves, and without which they could not be held in bondage one year, and perhaps not half that time. I now proceed to describe the unsuccessful attempt of poor Jack to obtain something from the female slave to satisfy hunger. The planter's house was situated on an elevated spot on the side of a hill. The fencing about the house and garden was very crookedly laid up with rails. The night was rather dark and rainy, 
and Jack left me with the understanding that I was to stay at a certain place until he returned. I cautioned him before he left me to be very careful, and after he started, I left the place where he was to find me when he returned, for fear something might happen which might lead to my detection, should I remain at that spot. So I left it and went off where I could see the house, and that place too. Jack had not long been gone before I heard a great noise, a man crying out with a loud voice, Catch him! Catch him! and hissing the dogs on, and they were close after Jack. The next thing I saw was Jack running for life, and an old white man after him, with a gun and his dogs. The fence being on sidling ground and wet with the rain, when Jack run against it he knocked down several panels of it and fell, tumbling over and over, to the foot of the hill, but soon recovered and ran to where he had left me. But I was gone. The dogs were still after him. There happened to be quite a thicket of small oak shrubs and bushes in the direction he ran. I think he might have been heard running and straddling bushes a quarter of a mile. The poor fellow hurt himself considerably in straddling over bushes in that way, in making his escape. Finally the dogs relaxed their chase, and poor Jack and myself again met in the thick forest. He said when he rapped on the cookhouse door the colored woman came to the door. He asked her if she would let him have a bite of bread if she had it, that he was a poor hungry absconding slave. But she made no reply to what he said, but immediately sounded the alarm by calling loudly after her master, saying, Here is a runaway negro. Jack said that he was going to knock her down, but her master was out within one moment, and he had run for his life. As soon as we got our eyes fixed on the North Star again, we started on our way. We traveled on a few miles and came to another large plantation where Jack was determined to get something to eat. He left me at a certain place while he went up to the house to find something if possible. He was gone some time before he returned, but when I saw him coming, he appeared to be very heavy loaded with a bag of something. We walked off pretty fast until we got some distance in the woods. Jack then stopped and opened his bag in which he had six small pigs. I asked him how he got them without making any noise, and he said that he found a bed of hogs in which there were the pigs with their mother. While the pigs were sucking, he crawled up to them without being discovered by the sow, and took them by their necks, one after another, and choked them to death, and slipped them into his bag. We intended to travel on all that night, and lay by the next day, in the forest, and cook up our pigs. We fell into a large road leading on the direction which we were traveling, and had not proceeded over three miles before I found a white hat lying in the road before me. Jack being a little behind me, I stopped until he came up, and showed it to him. He picked it up. We looked a few steps farther, and saw a man lying by the way, either asleep or intoxicated, as we supposed. I told Jack not to take the hat, but he would not obey me. He had only a piece of a hat himself, which he left in exchange for the other. We traveled on about five miles farther, and, in passing a house, discovered a large turkey sitting on the fence, which temptation was greater than Jack could resist. Notwithstanding he had six very nice fat little pigs on his back, he stepped up and took the turkey off the fence. By this time it was getting near daylight, and we left the road and went off a mile or so among the hills of the forest, where we struck camp for the day. We then picked our turkey, dressed our pigs, and cooked two of them. 
we got the hair off by singeing them over the fire and after we had eaten all we wanted one of us slept while the other watched we had flint punk and powder to strike fire with a little after dark the next night we started on our way by about ten o'clock that night just as we were passing through a thick skirt of woods five men sprang out before us with firearms swearing if we moved another step they would shoot us down and each man having a gun drawn up for shooting we had no chance to make any defense and surrendered sooner than run the risk of being killed they had been lying in wait for us there for several hours they had seen a reward out for notices were put up in the most public places that fifty dollars would be paid for me dead or alive if i should not return home within so many days and the reader will remember that neither jack nor myself was able to read the advertisement it was of very little consequence with the slave catchers whether they killed us or took us alive for the reward was the same to them after we were taken and tied one of the men declared to me that he would have shot me dead just as sure as he lived if i had moved one step after they commanded us to stop he had his gun leveled at my breast already cocked and his finger on the trigger the way they came to find us out was from the circumstance of jack's taking the man's hat in connection with the advertisement the man whose hat was taken was drunk and the next morning when he came to look for his hat it was gone and jack's old hat lying in the place of it and in looking round he saw the tracks of two persons in the dust who had passed during the night and one of them having but three toes on one foot he followed these tracks until they came to a large mud pond in a lane on one side of which a person might pass dry shod but the man with three toes on one foot had plunged through the mud this led the man to think there must be runaway slaves and from out of that neighborhood for all persons in that settlement knew which side of that mud hole to go he then got others to go with him and they followed us until our track left the road they supposed that we had gone off in the woods to lay by until night after which we should pursue our course after we were captured they took us off several miles to where one of them lived and kept us overnight one of our pigs was cooked for us to eat that night and the turkey the next morning but we were both tied that night with our hands behind us and our feet were also tied the doors were locked and a bedstead was set against the front door and two men slept in it to prevent our getting out in the night they said that they knew how to catch runaway negroes and how to keep them after they were caught they remarked that after they found we had stopped to lay by until night and they saw from our tracks what direction we were traveling they went about ten miles on that direction and hid by the roadside until we came up that night that night after all had got fast asleep i thought i would try to get out and i should have succeeded if i could have moved the bed from the door i managed to untie myself and crawled under the bed which was placed at the door and strove to remove it but in so doing i awakened the men and they got up and confined me again and watched me until daylight each with a gun in hand the next morning they started with us back to deacon whitfield's plantation but when they got within ten miles of where he lived they stopped at a public house to stay overnight and who should we meet there but the deacon who was then out looking for me the reader may well imagine how i felt to meet him i had almost as soon come in contact with satan himself he had two long poles or sticks of wood brought in to confine us to 
I was compelled to lie on my back across one of those sticks with my arms out, and have them lashed fast to the log with a cord. My feet were also tied to the other, and there I had to lie all that night with my back across this stick of wood, and my feet and hands tied. I suffered that night under the most excruciating pain. From the tight binding of the cord the circulation of the blood in my arms and feet was almost entirely stopped. If the night had been much longer, I must have died in that confinement. The next morning we were taken back to the deacon's farm, and both flogged for going off, and set to work. But there was some allowance made for me on account of my being young. They said that they knew old Jack had persuaded me off, or I never would have gone, and the deacon's wife begged that I might be favored some, for that time, as Jack had influenced me so as to bring up my old habits of running away that I had entirely given up. End of chapter 12 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista